Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find today's tennis discussions going on. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors might provide that roadmap for your journey. For the last five-plus years, I've been blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors you will hear on our Thursday's broadcast? Well, the Almighty will, and at least once a month, you will continue hearing either Dr. Alan Fox or Coach Chuck Reese. Other mentors sharing their knowledge on Thursdays have been coaches like Coach Ashley Hobson. Uh, Today's guest, Coach Bobby Payless, uh, returns. Uh, Dr. Bryce Young, coaches Ed Crash, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, Scott Williams, uh, energy coach Linda LeClaire, and others. Besides these coaches sharing their knowledge, You may also hear other college or high school tennis coaches or USTA, PTR, and USPTA heads, as well as leaders from tennis and racket sport organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, Each week you will hear my biased views on North American tennis and life. I would like to thank Yellow Ball CEO J.P. Weber for hosting the program and on our network. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen at any time you'd like to any of the programming going on on the Yellow Ball Networking. Uh, besides our Thursday's conversation, the Almighty Willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously stated, if you disagree or want to comment, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. That's coach. D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida tennis or hear them on a future broadcast of Coach Denise Exploring Tennis Blessings. If someone's taken the last issue uh, for uh, the pro shop uh, at your location, and you're not a subscriber, and by the way, that's a good reason why you should be a subscriber now, uh, because many of the pro shops are closed down, uh, unfortunately, because of the situation we're in. So uh, maybe maybe this is a good time to make sure you have your subscription. But if not, uh, you can always read the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. And in between issues, you can read 
uh, Jim Marks, uh, and uh, myself and the other writers uh, on Facebook at FL Tennis. That's FL Tennis. Remember, the last issue of the magazine you can always read on www.floridatennis.com. And we, too, try to keep you abreast of what's going on on the Facebook uh, page, which is FL uh, Tennis. Uh, Those of you that have not uh, read Cross-Court Reflections uh, yet, uh, our guest today is uh, Coach Bobby Payless, who I've had uh, blessings to be able to um, go through and be at uh, different workshops uh, with him. Uh, actually, we went through the high-performance uh, coaching uh, uh, finalization up at uh, in Maryland together, oh, God, I don't know how many years ago, but it was a long time ago. And uh, he's, uh, he's what I think is, what a coach is about, and I, I think his experience in um, college uh, tennis and his experience in high school tennis uh, too, although that was short-lived, uh, is something that's worthwhile uh, uh, listening to. My commentary today I posted already on the, the different uh, associations that I belong with. It's been posted in Florida Tennis Magazine and others. Uh, but uh, truthfully, uh, it was uh, kind of a struggling week with all the negativity going on in uh, society uh, today. And of course, uh, not being able to go to the gym didn't help me much. Uh, Although uh, Bobby and I, uh, we did get out to do our walk-in daily, except for today we uh, weren't able to get out, but we're not uh, complaining because, as she reminded me, I've been wanting rain for a long time in Florida. We haven't received much rain, so <laughs> so we're getting it today, and uh, and it is a blessing, and we're happy, but we didn't uh, get our uh, – walking in like we usually uh, uh, do. But those of you that are finding things to do, like I said, I think now's the time to get caught up on your study, and now's the time uh, to to read Bobby Bayless's uh, book. I think it's an outstanding book. And uh, like I was saying, the commentary today, I asked the question, who are today's tennis leaders, and are they being heard? And I'm not going to go into the uh, whole thing on the air today uh, because it is posted, and quite frankly, it's a commercial for uh, the USTA uh, Florida section, uh, the PTR, uh, and uh, other uh, tennis organizations, what they've done. But I think we've been able, at least in the that I'm talking to, uh, and reading and listening to and uh, hearing uh, that uh, there's a, at least a 10 to 1 ratio of positive input and people sharing their knowledge and the willingness to help and to make the best of this situation. 
And uh, and that's really what I'm so proud of because, as I've stated uh, many times uh, before, it is about we the people. Uh, We've given the authority to our organizations uh, for those leaders to uh, uh, do the managing, uh, can you know run our organizations? But the organizations are really us, and we're the people that should be dictating what's going on. And like I said, although I'm not happy and uh, a lot of people, coaches, ain't happy with everything that's being done, but I think we have to uh, give a pat on the back for most of the things. I think there's more uh, positive things uh, than negative, and I think most of what they're doing, they put some thought into, which I'm always thankful for. And... um, when we in the tennis industry don't always have to agree with everything that's going on, um, but uh, I, I think that this is a period where uh, the tennis industry, and I must say, like um, most of the sport industry, industries, they manage the situation uh, very well. As I do state in my commentary, even though uh, you don't have to agree with uh, everything that's going on. But if we have a positive attitude and we work to make the industry better, I think, uh, you know, it's uh, it's important to look at it that way. And it's said that, you, that history is best written 50 years later. Uh, and at my age, I don't want to write uh, – I'm not sure I'll be around 50 years ago to see what uh, how we handle this situation. But I suspect uh, we will not have to wait that long to read analysis uh, of the tennis world in uh, 220, uh, 2020, what we've gone through. I'm sure uh, in the next uh, year you will be able to go to Florida Tennis Magazine or uh, go to uh, the Yellow Ball Network and uh, see uh, and do your own evaluation of uh, what your tennis has done. And I think that we, we you will agree with me uh, that uh, this has been an especially uh, important time uh, for tennis enthusiasts because I think they are leading uh, the direction now. They're, I'm hearing comments and disagreements uh, in a respectable way, and uh, uh, I, I think that's uh, become important. I shared with you before a lesson my father uh, told me uh, when I was a uh, well, I won't say a young man now. I thought I was, but I was approaching that and uh, asking him why didn't he stand up for things. And uh, he reminded me that, uh, you know, you learn um, when you're talking, you're sharing what you know. But uh, if you learn to listen, you're going to know a lot more. So uh, uh, admittedly, it took me uh, many years uh to have that lesson sink in on me, and occasionally I'll still uh, uh, talk too much. Uh, uh, but I think we do learn. Uh, 
when I went into Marine Corps, thinking I was uh, going in to prove a point, thinking I was better than most of the, my contemporaries at that time. Uh, I learned that I was a very average person, and I'm always thankful for the Marine Corps for uh, reminding me uh, who I was and uh, that uh, sitting there and learning to uh, uh, do what I was told to become better. The reason I am talking so much right now is only because uh, Bobby is not here yet. Um, uh, hopefully uh, nothing has uh, uh, happened that uh, delaying him, but let's give him a few more minutes. And uh, although I don't want to uh, read his book uh, because I'm sure he will, uh, you know, will tell us uh, about much of the stories. But I was going through uh, it today, looking over things that I wanted to bring up. And very early in the book, when he goes into the introduction, one of the things that uh, I thought was very important. And I'm not going to go into everything Phil Knight said, but it reminded me of uh, uh, his quote, coach is one of the greatest titles anybody can have. The impact kids' life, it, it, it impacts kids' lives the way that no other teacher does. And uh, I think of, I've often said, you've heard me say it, I don't know how many times, but I think I've I've often tried to figure out if I was able to give more to the uh, my students to, than I have taken from them. Many of the lessons come from uh, from me was coming from my students. They were I was able to pick up on that. And I don't know about you, but um, personally. I I found that uh, sometimes evaluating some of my uh, lectures with my students, I found I thought that some of the best ones were when I was uh, answering their questions. So I I I think one of the uh, one of our strengths is not listening uh, to. Uh, Everybody, uh, and uh, and that could be damaging. I think I see Coach on now. Yes. Bobby, are yes, you I'm, there? Yes, I'm here. I'm good. good. I'm sorry I had it's... trouble getting through it first. Oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I was just, uh, I didn't want to get into your book too much. Uh, I just was talking about my commentary uh, today and the crisis here, and I, I did... Uh, I just I, I did something. Your introduction, I thought, was, of the book was so important uh, because I I think that coach uh, is such an important word, and uh, the way you the, the, the quote that you used, I think, was so important. When you get my age, people say I call coaches coach uh, uh, only because uh, I. I my short-term memory sometimes hurt, and I forget the names. <laughs> the people I really respect, uh, to me, the, their first name is Coach. So 
Bobby, I'm going to let you go into the book uh, uh, more, but I don't know if you want to comment about uh, the situation today. My commentary reflected what I thought was some of the positives of uh, of coaches. I think I'm a believer of we the people and in the United States. We lend our authority uh, to the organizations we're, we're a part of, but uh, at least the group I'm with, I thought there was so much more positive activity. And like I said in my commentary, it was selfishly talking about uh, USTA Florida, the PTR, and organizations that I thought it did a good job uh, handling this situation. But uh, any comments you'd like to make before we get into the book? Yeah, uh, well, the... the uh... What this has done is it's a whole new world for everyone, uh, and uh, I I, uh, I I hardly go out of the house because my wife just had surgery, and if I catch anything and bring it home, she's in a weakened state now, and that would that would really hurt. Uh, so I'm, I'm but so we've all had a lot of time to think, and I think one of the things that uh, is going to affect. Uh, college more than high school is going to be the revenue stream uh, to to fund college tennis uh, is not unlimited at all. It's very finite, and and uh, um, you know football is going to continue to to command. It's going to make all the money for the schools. Basketball makes a little bit, but they're the only two sports really that uh, that generate revenue overall, and. Uh, if you look at, uh, I read not too long ago the uh, the uh, bowl payouts, uh, the t- excuse me, the TV payout for the SEC Southeastern Conference was forty four point six million dollars per school, and think about that. And there's fourteen colleges in one conference. Each of them got over forty four million dollars. That'll buy a lot of rackets and. Uh, uh, all of a sudden, uh, with that money, if, if we don't have a football season, um, you could see sports dropped. And and the, what's going to be the barometer for sports that get dropped? It, it, you know, I would think that one of the things that the athletic directors are going to look at is how many people attend the contest. Uh, and is it to our school? If, if we... If the if the team draws big crowds and there's a big following, it'd be harder to drop it. Um, and and then how does the team represent itself? Uh, how successful have they been? What kind of people? Uh, and you know all of that. Um, and and so, you know we we could be. I think we, we've got to be careful because we could be staring at, at a bad situation as schools begin to figure out what they're going to do. Because if there's no college football, obviously not only did each of those schools get $44 million from ESPN, but the t- then they got to charge you know $200 or $150 a ticket and 80,000 people came to the game. So when that money is gone, uh, and there's nothing to take its place. Either, either you you drop sports, you cut way back on the support for sports. You you know companies are the the CEOs are taking twenty and thirty percent pay cuts. You know a lot of that's going on. And I do think 
your timing was good because it's something that, uh, and I don't think that'll affect high school tennis because there isn't enough revenue that football brings in at the high school level to to really fund the other sports for the most part. And there, there's some exceptions. You know, most of the sports lose money at, at that level. So I think it's just it's it's worth thinking about. It's it's don't assume that we're always going to have what we have. And uh, so it's it's been a uh, it's been a different era. I mean, I, just in the last few weeks of being home all the time, um, I want to get out and and hit some tennis balls. <laughs> um, and and I think w- we've all seen how important sports are uh, because. Our sports section is in our local paper here, and stuff. And it's four pages now. It used to be eight, and uh, so that that says it right there. Um, but that's in, in regard to what you were saying. You know, and, uh, there's so many ways to take this this situation that we have, and in which we find ourselves, and and it plays a lot of different ways. And one of them, of course, would be what I said. Uh, another would be you will, you will find that people really miss being with their teammates and how important it, it has been to them. And when you're playing, you, you, the season goes from match to match. You don't take time to stop and think about that. But now all these teams have been – many of them were on spring break when the phone call came, don't play anymore. We're canceling the season. Some of the NCAA basketball tournament games were the team was at halftime, and they didn't come out and finish the second half. Um, so um, it, it's it's clearly an era we've never seen. And um, I was, you know, I, I was in college. Vietnam started when I was in college, and um, but it it wasn't uh, it wasn't like. World War Two, where where so many people were in the military, and and uh, and and they basically couldn't go on with the sports the way they were. Uh, all the athletes we were, were being drafted. I, yeah. Now I agree. I think just today I uh, I don't remember the school, but one of the colleges dropped uh, soccer. I mean, and because they couldn't. It was Cincinnati. But who it was? I forgot who it was. But I heard just today. But it's just uh, you know it is going to happen. I have two grandsons that are uh, uh, pitchers in college, and uh, both of them are um, you know I think I think both of them only pitched two games this year. Now they're they're yeah. out. They don't, you don't know. So it's it's going to be a different world, and it, and it's going to affect everybody. It's not just affecting the major sports. Uh, right. There's no two, two ways about it. I suggest that uh, those of that haven't read your book that they read your book because I'm always I know I'm always pushing. We can never uh, learn enough in any lessons you can get, and that's one of the things I was happy to see on social media. So many coaches giving of their time, and I appreciate what you did here. And how about we go to some of your uh, your stories because. Sure. I think we all need a little cheering up and a little uh, right. 
<laughs> what do you think? Okay. No, I, I wrote down some that, that, are, that are funny for me to remember. And uh, I'll start with one. Uh, I coached the Naval Academy for 15 years from 1970 to 84. And then uh, as I realized I was going to have trouble sending my kids to college, I, I was able to work a deal with the Wellesley Country Club in Boston and with MIT. And I became the coach at MIT Tennis Pro at the Wellesley Country Club. So I basically had two full-time jobs, and they they allowed me to do both. And and so one of the thoughts I had was, well, I'm going from Division One to Division Three. That's a little bit of a de-emphasis. It's going to be tough to get back in Division One. I. I found Division Three a, a tremendous uh, experience. Uh, really good coaches, coaches that had a good head on the shoulders, and and. Uh, had the well-being of the players in mind all the time, and and the 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 matches were just as competitive. They're absolutely just as competitive. And one one that I want to tell you a little story about. Um, we had not MIT had not been particularly good, you know, in in tennis. And um, we I wanted to you know to be as good as we could be. And uh, the first. Uh, the first day I went to work, we had a meeting of the whole staff, and the athletic director went around the room and asked everybody what their goals were. And I heard goals like um, to be top 15 in Division Three in New England. Uh, I heard uh, we want some of the women's coaches, we want to be competitive with the Seven Sister Schools. That's Vassar, Mount Holyoke, uh, Wellesley College, you know, schools like that. And, and you know, all of a sudden – uh, you know, it was a different deal. When they got to me, I said, I want to win the national championship. The room got <laughs> deathly quiet. And uh, uh, a couple of the guys came up to me afterwards and, and said, hey, it's great that you want to do that, but uh, you don't don't say it out loud like that. He's going to want us to do it too. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I, um, we, uh, we became – I, there was more talent there than I thought, and we became reasonably good. And so, when our first spring break came up, the, in those days, only um, six teams made the NCAA tournament, and and we had uh, in Division Three. Now it's I think I, I don't I don't know exactly, but it's a lot more. Um, and uh, the the kind of the unwritten rule in Division Three was, and in this way, it was almost more competitive than Division One. You've got to come up here and play me at my place, and when you finally can beat me, then I'll come back to your place, and we'll start switching. And so I basically had to play everybody on all the good teams that I could book. And so on my spring break, I booked uh, Swarthmore, who had won the NCAAs, and Washington College uh, over on the eastern shore of Maryland, which they actually won it a year later. Um and so they were two of the teams, that, the elite teams, and so we really needed to do well. We started playing Washington College, and uh, their uh, their coach was a, uh, had been a dentist in town, and, and as he retired, he loved tennis, and he really worked hard, and he got a good team. Well, these two teams were going at it, you know, heart to heart, and and and. Uh, all of a sudden, it got dark, and in those days, we played the singles first, and uh, and the doubles followed. And 
we had we had long three set matches and finally it started to get dark and we were in the doubles and all of a sudden um two of the doubles were left and uh it, the score was uh 4-3 and uh, either team could win if they won the remaining doubles but it, it, it got pitched back pretty quickly well the courts were uh, down a little bit below um, land level and uh, in a little hollowed out area there and uh, we, I, it was my idea I went to their coach and, and, uh, and there were maybe two, three hundred people watching the match and uh, um, I, I suggested that we have everyone pull their car up to the edge of where the courts were all around and turn their lights on and let the let the let the lights be the lights for the courts because they didn't have lighted courts and so he tried it and sure enough you could see uh, the ball well enough to hit it it wasn't great lighting but it was it was semi doable so we we picked it up right there whatever the score was and and we began to finish the, the two remaining matches um, and what we found out pretty quickly was that. The, of course, the car lights were just above court level, and so they went through the court, and you could see the ball on the ground looks fine. Uh, but when you hit a lob, it went over those lights, and it was like it just hit, went into a black hole. And the <laughs> only thing you could do was to w- listen to the sound of where it bounced <laughs> and then run over and try to hit it. Um, and so both teams started to uh, – it, it, it would have been really good to tape because the, the game plan was take the first lobable ball and hit a high lob and g- run to the net. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you had to hope that the ball came down and hit one of the players. <laughs> and anyway, we, it was – it was. Uh, it would have been funny if it wasn't such a match. And years later, um, uh, one of my one of the kids I was working with here in town in South Bend was looking at at, a, at a, one of the schools in in the Big Ten, and and the coach came up and I hit with him and uh, you know played tennis with him. Just kind of Bobby, are you there? Bobby? Yep, I think we lost Coach Bayless there. Now let's see, let's get a minute and see if he comes back on. He's got, we lost him for a minute. But uh, Bobby's book is, uh, well, it's a big book, but it has many pictures. When they first sent it to me, I I thought, um, oh my God, almost 500 pages. But I tell you, amazingly, you go through it so fast that you, uh, and, and it isn't about, hang on, I think he's back again. Co- yeah, Coach, I'm, are I'm, you there? Okay, yeah, where I was that? When, 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 so when the. You were you were years later, and uh, you were uh, hitting after the event. After it happened, you were years later. You were hitting with a coach. Okay, yeah. So I was hitting with uh, with this 
young uh, you know player who was a senior in high school. The coach was recruiting him. He really wanted to get a look at his game and so forth. And and they had a good we had a good workout and the, and the player left and I sat down with the coach and we were talking about it. Uh, I, I, we talked about the boy a little bit and then somehow the conversation switched to uh, I, when I was coaching at MIT and uh, I and I started to tell him this story. I said, "You can't believe this really happened in a college match." He said, "Not only do I." believe it i was playing in that match <laughs> wow and and wow. uh the coach was tim gray and and uh i had not realized at the time that he was playing in the match uh but that's that's one that that sticks out at me i don't think i told the story uh on the last uh, uh call um about playing uh up at west point uh when i was at navy uh, uh and so let me let me go into that one. If I've already told it, just let me know. But we, uh, when I when I landed at the Naval Academy, I learned pretty quickly only one thing counted, and that was to beat Army. <laughs> and uh, and in fact, the reason I was hired was that we had lost ten straight years to Army, and uh, so I I got a feel for how important the match was, um, and. Uh, Fortunately for me, we we upset them my first year. They were better, and we just had a good day, and we were lucky. But pretty quickly, we were better than they were, and we I won all 15 of my Army Navy matches when I was coaching at Navy. But uh, as as the uh, as the as the string of of wins uh, mounted. Um, I got an idea once, and we used to play a joke on the the plebes. Plebes are freshmen, uh, and so when the, the plebes came in, we t- the team would tell them that the reason we've been so successful against Army is when we would go to West Point the night before the match, the plebes <laughs> would sneak out of the hotel and go up to the statue of George Washington which is right in front of the barracks and he's on a horse with his sword drawn and uh and they would paint one of the horse's testicles blue and one of them gold because our colors were blue and gold <laughs> and it wasn't true but but it was a pretty neat story and so the the plebes worried about how they went and eventually they all found out and realized it's, it's a little bit like Santa Claus uh, and they realized it was it was a big hoax. But but in in nineteen seventy nine and we'd had a really good team that year. We were about twenty two and three or something and um we were we were up, up there to play and and uh nobody had mentioned the horse or, or you know, the paint or anything like that. At two AM there was a knock on my door. And my best player on the team then, number one player, was a guy named Dave Andrews from Hawaii. And he was dressed in camouflage gear. His face was blackened. And he said, Coach, can I get the keys to the car? Because the MPs, uh, I can, if I have a car, I can get it done. But I, And I looked at him and said, oh, my gosh, no, Dave, don't. It was a joke. He said, no, no, I'm not going to let you down. I said, Dave. It is a joke. He would have been arrested, and we wouldn't have had him the next day. So, you know, and and 
there are little things like that 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 go on within a team experience that are, that are a lot of fun. Um, I uh, one of the things that's important is parents. Uh, you know how, how how the parents can support the coach, and you know that from being a coach yourself. Um, one of the interesting stories I had was when my, in my first year at Notre Dame, I was very lucky. I was able to recruit the best player in the country from the juniors. His name was David DeLucia. And he had been a semifinalist or finalist, I forget which, at the U.S. Open juniors that year. Uh, So that gives you an idea of his level. Um, And uh, he was at a level where today maybe he would turn pro. Uh, But uh, he, when we recruited him, um, he, he got to Notre Dame and, and uh, sure enough, he had done well in Kalamazoo, and he would won the doubles, and so he, he had a main draw doubles wild card into the U.S. Open. And he ended up missing several days of the first week of class at Notre Dame to play in the U.S. Open. Um, and uh, he was supposed to play on Tuesday, and uh, it rained just before their match. And then on Wednesday, there was a scheduling mix-up, and they, it was put off until Thursday. And they played Thursday, and of course he, uh, they lost their match, uh, but it was a night match. And by the time they finished, they couldn't get a plane out the next morning, so he was going to miss that that day of class as well. Um, and uh, and I flew back, uh, and and on Monday right after practice, I had noticed David was a little bit cocky, and you know that's understandable for a kid. Uh, 18 years old. He's just been hitting with Jimmy Connors and people like that and, and working out with some of the best players in the world, playing, you know, at, in Flushing Meadow and all that went with it. And um, um, the phone rang that night. And David's father, Tony DeLucia, was a terrific man. And I, we, we became good friends and we're still good friends. Um, I, I talk to him probably once every month or two today. But uh, Tony asked me, and, and David had gotten a little cocky, and I, I noticed it, um, um, but I didn't worry about it because I thought it was natural. And um, he asked me, he said, Bobby, um, uh, how's my son doing? And I thought, well, what am I supposed to say? And I said, oh, everything's good. He's doing fine. And he said, I still remember the words coming out of his mouth. He said, Bobby, this is the beginning of a four-year and hopefully more than four-year relationship. For us to have a relationship, we we have to have trust. We have to trust each other. For us to trust each other, we have to be honest with each other. How's my son doing? <laughs> and so, so I said, I I wasn't sure what was coming, but I said, uh, well, Tony, if now that you mention it, I I wasn't going to say anything. But he's a little cocky, but that's certainly understandable. And I never had that kind of success, so I don't know how I would have handled it either. And he said, Bobby, Bobby, shut up now. We're now we're forming a relationship. We're being honest with each other. Here's how you handle my son. He said, tomorrow, you take all the players on your team, pretend you're back at the Naval Academy, and line them up almost like in military formation on the baseline and go walk right by each one of them and put David in the middle. When you get to David without any warning, 
kick him in the and the groin area. <laughs> he used a different word. Uh, as hard as you can. He will go down in a heap, and then you proceed to beat the snot out of it. And he didn't say snot. And uh, so, um, and he said he will come around. And then he said, if that doesn't work, call me, and uh, I'll fly out the next day, and I'll hold him while you beat him, and then you hold him while I beat him, and he will come around. And uh, so, so uh, I knew right away that I was going to have the support of, of one Tony DeLucia. And, and David, uh, I knew I had him any time. All I had to say is, hey, I'm going to call him. <laughs> so uh, it, and it, it became a great relationship with, with Tony and a great relationship with Dave. But you don't always get that from parents. And uh, I once had a parent that who, whose son had a lot of potential, he had a huge serve, big forehand, was a little bit slow, but really big weapons, like you see on television. And when he'd get into matches, he'd get a little afraid, and he would not hit the ball as hard, and he wasn't very athletic. What? Not athletic. He wasn't very fast. And so people would start to dominate him off the ground, but he just didn't – he wasn't comfortable. He, he hadn't been on the team that long, and his dad – uh, called me and we had a different conversation and his dad had suggested that he, he was playing six and he and two or three other guys were fighting for number six and he had lost a couple of matches when he got in because he felt the pressure that he had to win to keep his position and so his father said do we both agree that his potential is way above that and I said yeah absolutely and, and uh, he said well here's the, I think you should handle it Move him up to three, and then he won't feel that pressure. <laughs> and I remember saying, well, how am I going to tell the other guys on the team why I'm moving him to three? Uh, and he's going to have to learn how to carry his own water. And uh, so, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get when when you start dealing with parents. But uh, Tony's an all-star. And uh, um, there are so many Funny stories, and I look back. Uh, that one involves some referees. Uh, I'm again. We were playing Michigan State once at their place, and uh, they had a nice community, tennis community, and a lot of people in the tennis community uh, became referees, got certified, and 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 uh, uh, worked their matches. And so at one point we were we were in a pretty tight hard fought match. We were up uh, uh, three to two, and and we only had to win one of the two remaining matches to clinch the match. And they were both in third sets. And uh, I had to go to the bathroom. When I finished coming back from the bathroom, right by the door as I walked in, um, I stopped because. I didn't want to create a a, a a visual problem for the players, and uh, I waited for the point to end. And I was able to overhear the 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 two umpires, three umpires I guess were there, um, and one of them said to the other, "We have to win both of these matches to win the match." <laughs> and I looked at looked at the wow. three of them and I said, "Guys, I'd have felt a lot better if you just said." Michigan State has to win these, but when you say we, I realize this is a tough, tough place to play. So uh, you know, 
you you deal with you deal with a lot of things in college tennis. Another one like that was at Illinois. They were number one in the country. had had just won the national team indoors. We had a good team. We that year got up as high as four in the country, in in two thousand and two, uh, and we were playing them at Illinois, and we started to win some matches, and pretty soon uh, it got really close, and it and we were. Three two in matches, and one match was right near the end of the third set. Another one we had won the first set, and the second set was real close. And in the in the match in the third set, our guy when he lost the match on match point, he sort of skipped his racket from like you're skimming a stone, you know, from sort of across it toward his bag, and it wasn't. Completely bad, but it's certainly never good when you when you let the racket come out of your hand. Anyway, that was called a code violation on him, and uh, so uh, the match was over, and so we go running. Uh, we I went running to the one remaining match that made it three all. When I got there, our guy was serving, had won the first set. And the second set was in the tiebreaker, but our guy was up 6-1 in the tiebreaker. And the uh, referee of the overall match came out on the court at 6-1, match point for us, team match point. And our guy had been winning most of the points in the edge court, and that's where he was serving. Um, And the referee said, I'm going to call a very quick timeout. We've got to settle something. And they had to decide – whether to carry over the code violation onto that match. The rules insist that you can't bring bring a code violation onto another match until the the game that they're in ends. It doesn't mention tiebreaker, but I would assume it would apply to a tiebreaker. And so the referee kind of hemmed and hawed, and, and all of a sudden it's team match point, and both players are anxious as they can be, and our guy's looking over what's going on. Coach, can't you help me here? And they decided to apply the code violation. So now at 6 2, uh, we're still at 14 net points. I felt pretty good about it, and I didn't argue too much because I felt like we were in control and we win. Well, you know what happened. Uh, we, we lost not only those first four points, but we lost the tiebreaker. <laughs> and so now we're in a third set, and I'm still fuming inside that it was handled the way it was. Well, we get into the third set. Our guy gets up a break, and finally it, 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 he serves four all and goes to serve the match out. And and so uh, at four all, he um, he gets up uh, thirty love, and so he points away from the team match. Proceeds to uh, to lose three points to go down thirty forty, and I. Oh boy! I'm sorry, folks, but I think uh, I think we lost coach again. It sounded like something was happening towards the end. I think you get the idea, though, 
of some of the things that happens in there. And, and besides the stories of games in the books, he has uh, uh, Bobby has coached with and against some of the great coaches uh, in the game, uh, coaches like Chuck Greasy and, uh, oh, God, the list goes on and on. And he has interesting stories about some of the uh, coaches uh, and comments that uh, that they make, uh, you know, during matches or during conversations. And then he has stories about uh, comments that supposedly were made, uh, but, uh, you know, if they were made or not. So, uh, his stories goes on well beyond the uh, matches like that. His conversation with coaches. I think. Oops. I think we have him again. Hang on. Yep. Yep. I'm Coach, sorry. are you there? Uh, uh, I'm here. I don't know what happened. Now. We started to lose you, and then we did lose you. But I'm gonna. If it happens again, I'm gonna give you a little warning because I. I, I I don't know. It seems like you started fading first, so we'll see if we can okay. stop it this yeah. time. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, well, go I ahead. I don't remember where you lost me, but but uh, we were playing Illinois, and the match came down to where we had, had just blown three uh, big points, and uh, our guy finally hit an ace, and, and we were able to, to win the match. Uh, but uh, to see it Changed the way it did on, on referee's decision to uh, apply the code violation to the next match um, was was bothersome to me, but uh, it's, you know it, it turned out okay, so uh, uh, everything's fine. Um, I uh, certainly looking back over my college experience as a coach saw so many neat things, wonderful things. And I, when I started coaching in 1970, coaches wore a coat and tie. The balls were white. There was no coaching on court allowed. Singles was played first. Matches sometimes took six hours because it, it, there was no there were no tiebreakers. And uh, on the East Coast, a lot of the, a lot of the better schools all had clay. And a lot of the matches were played on clay, so there were longer points and so forth. Um, as I said, no tiebreakers. There were no chairs on the court. When you came over to a crossover, you uh, you didn't sit in a chair. You you got some water, you toweled off, you reached in your bag if you needed something, and then you went over. So the matches, uh, um, you know, didn't didn't delay like it. And the reason that all came up was I think uh, when the U S open was on television, one of the, one of the problems with televising the match was that, that every two games, there was a timeout and uh, they didn't know what to do about commercials. And so they made this, the, the rule about, they cut it, they cut it, they put chairs on the court. So there was enough time for them to run commercials. And that's how we got to where we are today. Um, uh, one, one of the things that, um, I, I get a kick out of is what to do in a match. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, w- w- the, the coach has to learn, uh, 
when not to say something and when to say something and what to say. And obviously you want to be positive all the time if, if you can. But I found that there are two emotions that if you can touch one of those two emotions, you're, you're going to get a, 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 you're going to have a player playing at a high level. And they are anger and laughter. Uh, in other words, if you're, if you're starting to choke in the middle of a big match um, and I can either try to make you mad about something and you'll think about it. If you're playing and, and it was, you were starting to choke and you losing control a little bit, but you got hooked on a, on a big point, the player cheated you. At least you thought he did. All of a sudden you forget about all the other stuff and now you're mad and now you can play again. And the same thing goes with, with being able to laugh at something. And so I tried to take advantage of those two um, things that you could do. As far as uh, trying to make somebody mad, I remember once we played uh, Illinois. Just to let you know, we have five minutes left, Coach. Just to let you know, but it's your five minutes. All right. Well, this will be worth it probably. Uh, We had a young man named Eric Enlow, and he was a junior who had never really played in a big match. But he had worked hard over his uh, two two plus years with us, and I thought he was ready, and I stuck him in there at number six singles. And sure enough, he was tighter than a drum and scared to death. And and uh, uh, he lost the first set six zero. And and so I walked over on the changeover, and I knew what do I what am I going to tell him? You know, what what am I going to say? And I remembered that he was a really tough little competitor in, in practice. And, and so I, I got the idea that I would try to make him mad at me. And so I said, Eric, when I recruited you, I thought you were a tough little guy. I was half right. You're a little guy. And I walked away and I left him there. <laughs> and I could just see him seething. And, and all of a sudden, he forgot about choking and being scared and team down, and he just wanted to show me that I was wrong. And he won the next two sets in under an hour, and uh, we went on to a big upset win that night. Um, another match like that uh, in terms of what to tell the players, we had a baseliner, and this was in 1996. Uh, his name was Brian Harris, and uh, he normally didn't play – all of the matches in singles, but he he was he was our number seven guy mostly. But he had really good ground strokes, could hit the ball a ton, and, and uh, uh, I, I wasn't concerned about his ability at all. And sure enough, one of our guys got hurt in doubles, and I had to stick him in the singles. And as the match progressed and got into a third set, he was playing from we we're playing North Carolina, and their player at six was a guy, big guy named Tony Thomas who started taking every one of Brian's second serves and chipping and charging and forcing Brian to thread the needle on a passing shot. And it started to turn the match uh, in his way, in Tony's way. Well, I went out on the changeover and I told Brian, oh, no, we were just getting ready to start a tiebreaker. That's what it was and for the whole match because now it's it, it was – it was three all, and, and they were going to determine it in a tiebreaker which team won. So I, I walked up to Brian and I said, look, 
you do what you want on your first serve, but if you miss your first serve, I'm telling you, you must serve and volley on the second because the only way you can take away somebody chipping and charging on you is to come in yourself, and their ball is a chip, and it's easy to volley. And you, you, and Brian looked at me like I'd asked him to, to climb Mount Everest. He said, Coach, I've never served in volley in singles in, in my life. <laughs> and I said, Brian, I understand that, but th- that's what you have to do. And I, I gave him the option if he wanted to just get his first serve in, that was fine because I thought he could win off the ground. And sure enough, he he had to serve and volley on three points. He won them all, and we won we won a pretty important match. So uh, now, John, is this? Am I at five minutes, or did I go over? Or, no, uh, no, no, you're actually you're, you're good. You have another minute and a half. Okay, well, let me give you one more quick uh, story here. Um, uh, we were playing. Temple when I was at Navy, and their coach was Peter Dobb, uh, who became the William & Mary coach later on, did a really great job there. Well, we were going to play them, and we had a, our indoor courts at Navy in those days. We were in a multi-purpose area, and we were pretty near the broad jump pit for track. But we'd had the courts for six years. No one had ever run into the, into the broad jump pit and gotten hurt. So I convinced Peter to let us to, to to play the match when it rained. He didn't want to play on that court. Well, I took him out. I said, look, let's let the guys hit. I'm going to take you down. We're going to get a cup of coffee or hot chocolate and a pastry down at the market here in Annapolis and get to know each other a little better, and then we'll come back. As we walked in the door, his players were carrying his number one player out. He had just broken his ankle. Oh, <laughs> so, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I felt terrible. <laughs> And I always kid Peter about that when I see him. So I think I used up pretty much all my time. It's always a pleasure to to, to break bread with you here over the radio. And and uh, if anybody has if anybody has questions, I don't think they have the ability to call in. But I'd be glad to answer any. No, they don't. They have to let me know uh, in advance. How did they get a hold of you? And how did they get their book? I've been talking about the book while you haven't oh, been thank on. You. Yeah, um, it's on Amazon, and it's also uh, uh, if if uh, m- I'll give you my cell number, they can text me, and I can mail them an autograph one. Here, my cell number is five seven four five three two zero two four two. The book's got a lot of those stories in there. It's a whole lot of funny stories and and some inspirational ones as well, and and. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to let people know about it. Well, we've uh, we liked the book, and uh, Jim March uh, just saw the email from him. I don't know if they have this issue of Florida Tennis Magazine or not, but uh, uh, books to us are important. Your book is fascinating because besides uh, funny stories and a history of tennis, uh, it's uh, you know it's a, it's a great learning tool. So I would like to remind everybody get the book, and I remind you that next week we have uh, Dave Mullins on, and then we end the month in April with Dr. Bryce Young and uh, Energy Coach Linda Leclerc, and we'll start off May with uh, uh, 
love what Chuck Reese Like I said, you either have Alan Fox on or Chuck Reese starting one in a month. Have a good week. Stay positive, folks. And uh, I pray that we uh, hear from you again next week. And, Coach, thank you for sharing your blessings with us. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.